Hey, you, put down the remote and put in your headphones. That's right. It's time for Raw and Real with CJ Ripka, the show where all the stories are great. Eh, well, some of the stories are great. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Raw and Real coming to you from the Saloon 7 Studios in Rapid City. Take it away, CJ. Hi there. I have a quick survey for you to fill out. It'll just take a second. Question one. What the f***? Seven six five four three two one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this new crazy mother! Broadcasting to a worldwide audience since 2014, you're about to experience raw and real. And now, here's your host, C.J. Ripka. Hey, what's going on, everybody? CJ here. Thank you for coming over to YouTube for this episode of Raw and Real Live. My guest tonight is Brian Crean, or as may, some of you may know him as Sir Big B from Cave Crew Radio. But not just Cave Crew Radio. We He also does another show, probably his flagship show, Metal Thunder Radio. And, uh, you know, when I started looking into getting this uh, this lined up, it was kind of, I was kind of put on the spot. You know, Big B put me on the spot. He's like, hey, you've interviewed everybody else on the show. Why not me? What happened to me? What, what, don't you like me or something? Well, he kind of put me in that spot where I was like, well, no, I just didn't think you would want to come on my show because it's not big enough for you or something to that effect. I don't know. I don't remember the conversation. But anyways, Brian was in a band from 1991 to 1999. And during that time, his band opened for headliners such as Nuclear Assault, Murphy's Law, Typo Negative, and Carnivore. They also had two albums release of their own in 1992 and 1996. After the band broke up, Brian worked odd, or worked odd jobs until he wound up at the company he currently works at today as an analyst in a technology department. Who knew? In 2008, Brian went to broadcasting school to learn the radio production. Out of necessity, he built his own home studio to work on his assignments. As it turns out, Brian has a bit of talent and started his own heavy metal show, Metal Thunder Radio. Since launching Metal Thunder Radio, Brian partnered up with another powerful on-air personality, Double K or DK, the man with 87 names, whatever. I don't know exactly how he got all 87 names, but they created Cave Crew Radio. Thank you, Sir Big B, for coming on the show tonight. Hello there. It feels like, you know, this is your life. I'm expecting various people to come walking out from the from the walls. Hi, remember me? Remember this? <laughs> one one hell of an intro. You know, I don't actually. If you watch any of the shows, I don't do intros like that. I felt <laughs> I, you know, I felt that I really needed to step it up a notch having you come on the show just for the simple fact that, wow. <laughs> when, when you sent me your bio today, I was like, oh, holy shit. I had never expected that to come across. <laughs> yeah, uh, most when it, when when I tell them what I told you in the bio, uh, most people think I'm 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 kidding or lying, one of the two. <laughs> um, and all of it is true, and I'm sure we'll get into it as the show goes on. But yeah, I've done a lot of interesting things. <laughs> How I got to that point, I have no idea. So I wanted I want to start off at kind of at the beginning here. Because, 
you know, a lot of what we do as adults was inspired when we were kids. So I kind of wanted to kind of go back to your childhood a little bit and uh, talk a little bit about where you came from and uh, what what it was that in your surroundings that inspired you to take the path that you took. Well, that's an interesting question. One question I've, that's one question I've certainly never been asked. Um, I'm born and bred in Queens, New York. Uh, never moved out anywhere. Stayed in basically the same neighborhood my whole life. Um, uh, started off as any little kid does playing sports. I loved baseball. I loved the New York Yankees. I was going to be the second baseman for the New York Yankees. Uh, that was I knew that's the way I was going to go. Um, it turned out later, you know, later as I went into high school, I hurt my uh, I hurt my back. So that kind of sidetracked any type of uh, baseball thing that I ever had in mind. But in the same time, I had I had a, a love for music. And um, I guess how any band or however you first start to play an instrument, your buddy comes up to you and says, hey, you know, we're listening to the latest Metallica track and says, hey, we should start a band. I'll play guitar. You can play bass. It's like, okay. <laughs> so that's basically how it started. And uh, I, I asked my parents for whatever, I guess it was my birthday or Christmas, whatever it was, to get me a bass. I wanted to learn how to play bass. Okay, you, they got me this cheap, this cheap, you know, crappy bass. And, uh, and that's, where, that's where it started. You know, I, I, took, I took lessons um, for about six months. And then I just started just playing with people. Uh, I to get out to the lessons was 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 tough for me uh, because it was so far away from where I lived. Uh, so I just started playing with people, and I felt I learned more by playing with people than just from the actual lesson. Right. So that's how it just progressed until uh, <clears throat> until I got into the band uh, Sudden Fear uh, in 1991, and then that just took everything to another level. You know, I I love that name too, Sudden Fear. Uh, we, when I was growing up in fifth, I remember fifth grade, we had to go to an assembly, and during this assembly, the the pep band came out and they played and stuff like that, and it, and it was setting you up for the next year when you could start taking music lessons in school. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the assembly, each person played their, uh, you know, one person played an instrument, and then you kind of got to hear what it sounded like. And for me, it was a trumpet. I The trumpet always kind of, you know, spoke to me. And um, through that, that that was kind of where my music, my musical roots kind of came in from. But I was never very good at it. <laughs> I, I was horrible when it came to playing the trumpet. But, you know, the band trips were always fun. Did you ever do anything like that in school? Were, were you part of the choir or band or anything like that? No, that was that was never a thing. Uh, actually, I don't think, I'm not even sure they had that in my school. Um, we went to, I went to Catholic school all my life. Uh, so we, the one school, it's not, you don't go to middle school. So you go kindergarten to eighth grade. And then from there you go to high school. So in, in grammar school, there was no band or anything. Um, we just found our way through music through, you know, whose brother was listening to what and whatnot. That's how we, uh, you know, got, it got into music initially. Um, and then in high school, I don't remember there was a band in high school. Um, but again, you meet people with similar tastes and you kind of just jam out, you know, with them. And uh, it's it's fun you bring up the, the assembly and watching the band play. The first sh- the first live performance I ever did was at my high school. They had some talent show or whatever. 
and uh, you know, me and a couple other guys got together and we were going to cover Black Sabbath Paranoid, <laughs> nice. but we were going to put our own spin on it. Well, we could, we really shouldn't have put our own spin on it. Um, but even before then, now keep in mind, this is the first time I've ever been on stage ever, ever. Right. I go to plug in and nothing's working. There's no sound coming out of the amp. There's nothing. I'm flipping out. I got, I'm, everybody's like staring at me. Everybody's waiting for me to get sound <laughs> so we can actually play. I'm you know, sweating. I'm turning beat red plugging you know turning things on and off plugging in, in this and that and everything else finally somebody comes in and like i guess something was unplugged in the back <laughs> you, know, I, you know not like the amp was plugged in but whatever the amp uh, was plugged into that outlet something was unplugged there so they plugged in and i was like oh my god now i got like you know like 200 300 people in the in in the audience waiting for for me i'm like uh, the spotlight's on me i was like i just want to hide <laughs> we went on and we played a terrible version of paranoid um but we got a standing ovation and uh, I was the first person I was told I was the first person to ever headbang at a school performance. So a Catholic school pride. performance. Yes. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great pride in that. So what kind of music inspired you the most when, as you're growing up? Um, well, my, my father listened to country music. Um, I mean, I, and I could hang myself if I listen to country music. Uh, my mother listened to stuff like Simon and Garfunkel and the Mamas and the Papas, which was, you know, I thought was cooler. Um, but then what I really got into was stuff my brother would listen to. He was really into Dio and Deep Purple, the Eagles, Billy Joel, stuff like that. So more rock stuff. And so I, whatever he listened to, I got, I got into immediately. Um, and then when I ventured out onto my own and was like starting to pick up music, uh, Twisted Sister was my first like real Oh, love Twisted heavy metal Sister. band that I found on my own. And, you know, that was like the greatest band ever until I discovered Iron Maiden. <laughs> and they were a New York band, too, right? Twisted from Long Island. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're all from Long Island and they still live out there. So it's, it's you know, they're, they're, they've always been a New York band, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that is so awesome. Yeah, I remember when I was growing up, my dad, he was that guy that listened to a little bit softer stuff, kind of country type stuff like you're talking about, like your dad. Yeah. But my mom, she is the one that kind of got me turned on to metal music or hit or rock music, I guess, because I was going through her her albums, and she had Pink Floyd, The Walls, she had uh, you know Kiss, uh, a Kiss album, a Black Sabbath album, and I remember the first time I listened to Black Sabbath, um, I was listening to War Pig, and it just blew me away. It just grabbed right. me right right then and there. It was like, oh, this is this is exactly where i'm gonna be for the rest of my life right right and uh and it took me it took me about 15 years but i finally got my wife to agree with me at least a little bit mm-hmm. now yeah the the band that we <laughs> we agree on is theory of a dead man but hey i finally got to agree got her to agree with me on something <laughs> it's it's a start you gotta start somewhere just take <laughs> take the victories when you can get them right <laughs> exactly <laughs> So moving on and, and getting into the band, what, uh, from 1991 to 1999, what, uh, what were those years like for you kind of getting into that Fun. band run? Fun. Those were, those were a lot, a lot of fun years. It was a lot of hard work and we didn't realize it was hard work, you know, until after the fact, then it was just what we did. It was a lot of fun. 
Uh, we started off, we started off in 1991, just as, you know, we, any garage band started off, we just wanted to play some cool tunes, right? We play music for ourselves, coming up with stuff and, you know, our, we replaced a singer, we replaced a guitar player. <clears throat> uh, but over time, we just started maturing. Um, and by over time, I mean, like within a period of, you know, six months to a year. Uh, where we started in 91 to the release that we we had in 92 was was hugely different right because we started in 91 we were we were you know kids still learning our instrument and uh i i, I remember the, the turning point at least for me and i and i talked to my other guitarist nowadays and he agrees the turning point is when we replaced our one guitarist um with uh, one of the guys i currently do the metal thunder radio uh, show with uh, Scott. He came in as probably the the more advanced musician out of any one of us, um, and he was very fast. He was very technical as far as we were concerned. Um, so he kind of made us step up our game, right? Because remember what I said, you know, I, the lessons that I took, you know, I only took for six months. I learned by playing with other people. So when he came into the band, it kind of forced me to play harder, to learn more. Um, and forced everybody else to do the same thing. So that's what took us from, from 1991 starting out as like, you know, this kind of out of tune, crappy little garage band to, you know, something that was fairly decent. And, uh, the, it's fine. The 1992, uh, t- uh, release that we had, we made a red tape. Uh, it was Chrome red and that was our manager's uh, decision. And people still talk about that release today. So we did something right. So those first releases, I've heard a lot of other uh, band uh, bands talk about that first release. They think it's going to be that that ticket to the yeah. next level or whatever. What was the mood like with you guys when you when you were able to put a tape out? Well, we had we had done something. We got together in spring '91. Uh, by the end of '91, we we did a little demo, and it was really awful. It was, I mean, we were all excited at the time, but you know, even like a couple of weeks after the fact, you listen to it, it's like, this really sounds like crap. (laughs) Um, so that's, you know, we, that was with the old guitarist, the old singer, when we replaced the guitarist and the singer and went in to do the 92 stuff, we already knew that we were so far ahead of what we did in 91, um, that we were very excited for the, for the, 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 the 92 release. And, uh, when it came out, um, and we started spreading it out. People were excited as well. So that got us pumped even more. So that pushed us more to, uh, you know, the shows got bigger, the shows got better. We, we got, you know, better on stage. Um, as far as we weren't just standing there like statues, we're moving around and, you know, interacting and all this stuff. So that pushed us even more, you know, and we thought, of course, every band thinks the same thing. You think your ticket is, you bought your ticket to the top. And that, you know, obviously didn't happen. But, you know, that's what you think at the time. And, uh, you know, it's good to think that way. Otherwise, you know, why are you doing it? You know, that, I'm glad you bring up that point because really you have to have that mindset that we are on top. We are that yep. that group, the beat or that number one uh, band. And that that kind of transcends everything. I mean, you really have to have that kind of confidence in what you're doing in order to succeed in anything. Pretty much. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's funny because, you know, when you, any type of group performance, if you're in a band as individuals, you're probably not confident, 
you're confident in the group itself. Um, so when you get on stage, you're one unit moving forward. If you're alone in a, in the spotlight, you're, you're probably not as confident. Um, but you're right. You have to be that, that band that you have to know that you're the best band out there. You don't be arrogant about it. There, there's a fine line you have to walk. You know, you know, you don't be arrogant about it, but you understand that you're, you have to be the best. Right. And I think one of the, one of the good things for us is we became friends with another band uh, called mortal remains. And we're still really good friends with the, the, the singer um, to this day. They were like, we, or at least I did. I looked at them as being a step above us. So they were something to, you know, we would kind of fight each other. Anytime we played together, it was kind of, all right, who's going to, who's going to perform better that night. It was friendly competition. You know, we weren't yeah. out to like, you know, we liked those guys. They liked us, but it was really, we pushed each other to get the best out of those performances. And who gets the biggest pop out of the crowd type of thing. Right. Right. Yeah. Who, who had the biggest, you know, who had the biggest crowd reaction, who, you know, put on the best stage performance that night, who hit how many bum notes, you know, we'd, you know, we'd really nitpick because, you know, as musicians, <laughs> you kind of, you can, you can hear those little things. So you can needle them, you know, about that. And they needle us, you know, which is cool, but they, you dry, they pushed us and we pushed them to be the best band on whatever night we were playing. So what kind of venues were you guys playing? Were you regional, local? How, uh, how I, well, we played, we played a lot of, lot of new york city stuff uh we played uh, pennsylvania jersey you know uh, we went out to california uh, stuff like that so you know we we spread our wings a little bit uh, and got to experience that not to the extent that we would have liked but you know we did experience we were outside our shell so to speak uh, which was pretty cool so what was that lifestyle like between 1992 in your first release and 1996 in your second release um it was well in in ninety one. I mean, I was still in high school in ninety one, um, so it was kind of just you know a weekend thing, or you know if we were off from school or whatever, you know we'd go and jam out. So it was it was you know that kind of side thing, I guess you could say. Right. I graduated in ninety two, and I said uh, I wasn't very interested in school to begin with. So I I, I I told my parents, which was a lie, but I told them I'm just going to take a year off and see what the band does. Of course, I was never going to go to college, <laughs> but I just said, you know, I'm just going to take a year off and see what it does. And 92 came out. We had the release. And from there, it was uh, it started to become a professional thing almost. Right. We were out there. We were promoting. We were coming up with new ways to to, to get our name out there. Uh, we were like a mini business. Uh, me and the, the guitarist, uh, Scott, that does the, the radio show with me. We were the two guys that that we got ourselves on TV. We got ourselves on radio. You know, we, we were putting up flyers. We were going down to the shows. We kept our name out there and we did everything we could. So we were kind of a little marketing machine. Um, and that was the biggest difference. We went from like, you know, just for lack of a better term, just fucking around on the weekends to actually, you know, really pushing ourselves and making this an, a seven day a week thing where, you know, we're going to, we're going to do everything we can to make it, uh, you know, because we don't want to go with any regrets. And then, and then in uh, 1999, that kind of stopped. Was that a, a group decision or was that more or less well, just, you? it was, I mean, we had uh, uh, one singer uh, from 92 uh, through 96 or 95, like the end of 95. Um, and then he quit on us. We got another singer. 
uh, which we did the 96 release. Soon after we had that release, he quit the band uh, because he had gotten his girlfriend pregnant. He needed to get a job and, you know, which, you know, you're kind of at the time you're pissed because you just came out with a CD and he's leaving. So you're kind of left in the lurch. But you understand, you know, he's he's got family commitments. So, you know, and he did the right thing by his family, you know, which is very commendable. Um, so we got our ex-singer back in the band uh, from 96 to 99. But throughout the whole time he was in the band, he rubbed everybody the wrong way in some way, shape or form. Um, but you put up with it because what we were putting, you know, we were all striving to the same goal. By 99, he left again. And it was like, it was kind of like we were getting burned out a little bit. And that's when after he left, uh, Scott uh, decided he wasn't going to leave either. So after one night after rehearsal, he set us aside. He said, look, you know, I'm, um, I'm going to leave. I'm done with this. I'm tired and whatever. So me, the other guitarist and the drummer kind of sat back and looked at it and was like, and I looked at it too. I said, you know, I'm kind of really burnt out. I'm tired. You know, I, I, me and Scott were the two guys that pushed us for the better part of nine years trying to do something. I'm tired now. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, it was time. You know, I don't want to look for another singer. I don't want to look for another guitar player. I just leave it alone. Leave it be. I think we're done. We did what we're going to do. It's not going to happen. We came out when we first came out in 91, uh, when we first formed, uh, grunge just hit. Nirvana just hit with Smells Like Teen Spirit. That was the whole big thing. So throughout the 90s, you know, metal wasn't the thing. It was all grunge and the Seattle movement and all this stuff. So we kind of, we made what we could with it, but kind of had bad timing as far as the music industry goes. So in 99, it was like, all right, you know, I've had enough. I'm, I'm very tired. I don't want to do this, you know. So we broke up and I had offers from other bands that, you know, Hey, why don't you come join us? And one of the bands eventually signed to Century Media and went on tour. You know, good for them. But I was just too tired and burnt out. I didn't want to get into another band, play in another band. I didn't didn't even touch a bass after that for almost 12 years. Oh, wow. I was tired. You know, it's just, and then life takes over. You know, you have to do something. Right. You know, I was, I was 10 years older. You know, I graduated high school in 92 by 99, you know, I'm, down i'm seven years older you know you got a girlfriend you know you get you're living on your own you got bills to pay you know life takes over so where did that take you then i what kind of what what kind of career path did you think you were gonna you know find (laughs) going into uh you know post band i had no idea (laughs) i I really i had no clue i uh i started working at a beer distributor I remember I worked, uh, I eventually was driving the truck for the beer distributor and doing deliveries and whatnot. I did that for a couple of years. Um, but that was just physical. That took a physical toll because, you know, if you're bouncing kegs down broken basement stairs every day, kind of hurts after a while, right? Yeah. Uh, I, hold on a second. That's something yeah. that a lot of people I don't think understand. Um, most New York area bars aren't like bars here in the Midwest where, Everything is in one level in a back room. Right. You're you're literally going down flights of stairs, you know, two, yes. three stories down sometimes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you'd have a hand truck and uh, you'd either have 
two kegs, one straight up and one sideways on top of it. Or you'd put, you could stack on a hand truck. If you're talking about cases of Heineken, you could stack, I think, 10, is it 10? Yeah, I think there's 10 cases of Heineken, two in each row, right? So you have two forward, two sideways, two forward, two sideways, and like that, you lock them in between. So you carry, you, you on your hand truck, you either got 10 cases of Heineken or two kegs or whatever it is, and you have to bring this down on a hand truck through broken steps. And and in New York, all these basement stairs are broken. Nobody takes care of their basement stairs. They're all like <laughs> half steps and broken and all of this shit. So you got to like really like, you know, there's an art to it almost where, you know, <laughs> there's a fine line between bringing it down a step and dropping an entire hand truck, which I did, which I've done on numerous occasions, <laughs> you know, down the stairs. So, uh, yeah, it's not fun and it does hurt after a while, you know, and you come home smelling like fucking broken, you know, stale beer and all that. It's, it's, it, it's just awful after a while. Yeah. I, you know, I don't think, I don't think I could drink after working in the bar industry for a while. I couldn't drink beer for a while. It's just the smell of it. Just especially after cleaning out a keg line or something, it just, the smell of it just made me sick to my stomach. So yeah, I, it, <laughs> it's, it's awful. Especially when you, when you're in a beer distributor, um, the, the, like the, the, the main companies like, you know, Budweiser and, 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 uh, you know, Coors and all them will come and they'll take the, the empties that you get back from the store or the, and the breakage and the breakage was always the worst because those are, cases that were dropped or whatever that are all broken that have all stale beer in it that have leaked on you and it's just ter- and you, you know you just smell it it's all in your nose and you could not work there for a month and you still got that awful stale beer smell in your nose <laughs> and you're right you don't want to drink at all because it, it really turns your stomach it's disgusting so where does broken b go to next <laughs> <laughs> i wound up i went to uh funny enough i was always remained friends with scott he was working at a new age store and uh, I just, I asked him, I said, you know, I got to get out of this computer strip. It's killing me. Uh, do you have, is there anything open over there? He, he talked to the boss. And I'm like, yeah, come in for the holidays. It was like more like holiday work. Right. Uh, so I worked at a new age store for a few months selling incense. And again, I would go home smelling, not like stale beer, but like, you know, <laughs> vanilla extra, you know, whatever the incense of the day was. Dragon's fire. To... Like that. <laughs> Right. So it's like, you know, these new age books and the crystals and the and the, the, the incense and they had tarot card readers. Yeah, it was, I was just there to get paid. Was, <laughs> that didn't that that didn't last very long um, because ultimately what happened was uh, so we, we ended the band in 99. I went to work for the beer distributors there for about two years. So in the end of 2000 ish. Right at the end, that's when I got uh, the the um, the new age gig um, that led into 2001, where um, my sister in law at the time um, knew uh, the head of a of a small uh, dot com and asked her, you know, on my behalf, if they needed help in the mail room. So like, yeah, come in, come in for an interview. And I went in and I talked and, you know, I got the job, I, you know, I'm fairly easy to get along with. So if, you know, if in an interview, I don't have any problems, you know, I'll talk to you as a human being. Um, so I got the job and that's, and that's the company I work for now. Uh, so in February of 2001, as a matter of fact, I just passed my 16 year anniversary. 
Um, in February 2001, that's when I started working at the job that, I, that I'm currently at, and I started working in the mailroom. You know, that story, you don't hear that story very many places except it seems like New York. That's like the home of working in the mailroom and working your way well, up. Uh, you know, that's where, you know, how many corporations are here, you know, in, in Manhattan. You got, you know, how many, was it 12 miles wide, two miles long? Every single inch of those miles are corporations. So there's plenty of opportunity, not like, you know, you know, South Dakota, there may be three or four corporations in, you know, the main city um, here. There are three or four corporations in the same building, you know, so there's lots of opportunity here to, to start off in the mailroom. And that's where a lot of people, you know, now, end up. One of the things that one of the first draw, jaw dropping moments for me when uh, when I was reading your bio was seeing that you worked in accounting and finance. Yes. I did. It's funny. Um, for those of you who are, I guess, we're on YouTube. Yeah. If you can see me, um, I tell people this. And just by the look of me, people think I'm lying and I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, don't I look like the typical accounting guy? It must be the Ranger's hat. I, I, get, I, get, has to be. I mean, you know, it can't be the beard or the exit or shirt or long hair. I mean, that's typical, right? Yeah. yeah that's um, everybody wears that. Yeah. So. <laughs> Interesting story. Uh, I was working in the mailroom. I was there for about three, four months. The office manager comes into the mailroom one day, closes the door, and me and the other dude that worked in the mailroom are like, okay, what's going on? She says, I need you guys here early tomorrow. We're going to have layoffs. I said, okay. Now, I'm the new guy. I've been there three months. I looked at her. I said, do I still have a job? I, that was my, the first thing out of my mouth. I raised my hand. Why I raised my hand? I don't know. I said, do I still have a job? She's like, yes, you're fine. Just come here in the morning. We have to help people, escort people out of the building. I said, oh, my God. This is going to suck. So the next day comes. I don't know how many people got laid off. This was right as the dot-com bubble burst. So we were, we, what we are is a, is an online marketing company. Um, and one of the biggest clients that we had was a com, and they just one day, the same story as every com, closed their doors. They were just out of business. Um, the, you know, they ran out of money because all every com spent money on pool tables and dumb shit instead of actually investing in their business. Uh, so they ran out of money and they closed up shop. So we had to lay off a whole lot of people and uh, I came in and, you know, I don't know any, most anybody from a hole in the wall, yet I'm escorting, you know, crying girls out and, you know, dudes that are, you know, they had security there. It was like, it was an unreal day. <coughs> Two months later, they had another round of layoffs. So what the hell did I get into? Why, and why do I still have a job? First of all, so I, and I don't know how this came about. I To this day, I do not know. But I was moved to the accounting department. I was working in the mailroom. They went through two rounds of layoffs. And I was told I'm moving to the accounting department. I said, okay. I was just glad to have a job. I, wasn't, <laughs> I, I didn't ask why or whatever. I said, okay, fine. They said, this is what you're going to do. You're going to sit here in a program. You're going to type the beginning check number, ending check number, and you're going to hit print. So all I did was print checks all day long. Okay. <laughs> I'd mail them out. That was my whole job. 
as long as I have one, I don't care. There you go. Um, but eventually I started, I learned on the job and I guess the, the running theme for me throughout my life is I learned by doing same thing with being in a band. You know, I went to six months of lessons, but I learned more by playing than, you know, actually sitting in a lesson. So I never went to school for accounting. Um, I was good in math when I was in grammar school and high school. Uh, but I learned on the job. People taught me on the job. I learned how to use an Excel spreadsheet. I learned, you know, reconciliations and all this stuff. Uh, so eventually I started, you know, I started moving up in the accounting department. Um, to the point where I was the main contact for the bank that we were dealing with and I was running the treasury department. Um, so on any given day, uh, whatever, you know, we had at that time, probably $30 million in the bank. Uh, every single dollar of that went through my hands at least once in wow. the day. Wow. Um, and then we got into the foreign market. So I had to learn, you know, foreign currencies, you know, British pounds and euros and uh, Australian dollars and, you know, exchange rates and all that. So that's, you know, I, <coughs> again, just learning on the job and, you know, you can't be afraid to make a mistake because, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so you can't blame me. I didn't ask to be in this job. You put me here. So now I'm learning, you know, and that's that's the kind of the mentality I had going in. I didn't ask to be here. You put me here. So I'm going to learn. If I make a mistake, don't blame me. Um, but I'm a quick learner, apparently. And that's, you know, eventually, you know, I was the guy, the go-to guy for our bank, for all our money, for all our foreign currencies. Um, and yes, I look like this. <laughs> <laughs> don't ask me. I never changed my look. As a matter of fact, I go to work looking like this. I don't have to wear a shirt and tie. I would go to work in my Exodus shirt or whatever and sit there and I, I would have meetings with bankers dressed like this <laughs> and discussing opening bank accounts and going into foreign markets. You know, once they talked to me, they knew I knew what I'm talking about experience. So it doesn't matter what I look like. As long as I know what I'm talking about, you know, they, they'll, they have to take seriously because we have a shitload of money in their, in their, you know, in their bank. Did <laughs> so, you, and they know what I say kind of is the decision that's, you know, that they have to go into. So have, did you ever experience uh, anything with any of those bankers or some of those meetings? Did you ever experience someone maybe not taking you so serious or maybe questioned why you're there? Honestly, no. Uh, for the most part, because before then I've built up a relationship because a lot of it is talking on the phone. So you're having, you know, phone call meetings all day long. So you build up a rapport with them. And when they finally meet you, they're shocked. You know, when they see me walking up to them, they, they kind of like, uh, okay, hi. Um, but then we start talking about, oh yeah, how's the family, how's the kids and whatever, uh, you know, so they kind of, you know, it's a shock at first, but then they look past that. And uh, if you don't have an issue with it, you don't make it an issue. And you speak to them like human beings and you get down to business that, you know, people will look past that very quickly. So bankers relationships. Yeah. I mean, you, you touched on something that's absolutely huge and that's mm -hmm. you build a relationship before you go into these meetings. And I, I talk about this quite a bit, even in podcasting and in live streaming, people want to get guests on their shows and they're like, well, why can't I get these guests or why can't I get that person? And a lot of it comes down to exactly what you just said, building the relationship before you jump them and say, hey, would you like to come on? Right. Yeah. No, uh, it's the same thing, you know, in 
it's funny because doing the doing the metal show and like you said, you know, I've gotten some big, really big name guests. Um, but you build up a relationship with it through email. Like I haven't, I didn't talk to them before, prior, but you build up a relationship through email and you just talk to them the same way. I've always, no matter where it is in, in, in business, in the radio, in life, just talk to people like a human being. Don't make an issue out of anything. You know, it's not, you know, whatever your outward appearance or, you know, your preconceived notions of anything is, that's all crap. Just talk to somebody like they're a human being you get past all of that really quick. It's it's amazing how quickly all of that stuff goes away. And you just start realizing that you're going to get down to business. Um, and you might even have some stuff in common. You know, it's you find out with like, like you know, the, the bankers and stuff. We got along great. We had a lot of stuff in common. You know, we had families and kids and whatnot. <coughs> so I'm talking to this, you know, guy in a three-piece suit. And I'm wearing my Exodus shirt. And we're comparing stories about our kids you know <laughs> all that stuff goes away you know it doesn't matter what you look like you have to you build up the relationship you build up that that kind of trust and and you know doors open for you so now I, you brought up the radio uh, bit uh, the metal thunder radio in 2008 you decided to go to school now the guy that said i'm never going to go to college ends up going to college what uh, what brought that or what inspired that I was tired of being in accounting. I re- I really was. It was, it was, um, I was in it since 2001 and being a, being a musician, I wanted to, you know, I like to create, I'm, I'm a creative person in accounting. If you're a creative person, you go to jail. You can't, you can't be creative in accounting. Right. Um, you know, I, I had just had, I just had a son two years prior I was kind of, I don't know if I was in a rut or whatever. I just wanted to get out. I wanted to, I wanted to do something. I was tired of sitting there staring at spreadsheets all goddamn day. Um, so I started looking at, you know, I, I started looking into what I knew. Uh, I didn't want to play music, but I was always interested in, you know, being in the studio, you know, throughout the, the time we're in the band, we're in studios a lot. And, uh, you know, I was always, I was involved in mixing and stuff like that with, with our releases. So, I knew my way around the studio, so I started looking at a recording engineering school, and I started looking at a broadcasting school. Recording engineering school was cool, but I was looking at it, and I said, you know what? I really, What I really find interesting is the production side of radio. I said, yeah, that's – how do they do that? How, first of all, how do you get on air? I didn't even know, like, you know, how, 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 how do you broadcast out, right? And then how do you make the little jingles and whatnot? What goes into making the commercials or the, the bumpers or everything? I said, you know what? I've been around a studio. So, you know, I, and I kind of really, I don't want to sit there and record a band. So I'll, I'm not going to go to recording engineering school. Let me go to broadcasting school and really learn about this stuff. And, you know, it might be something, if anything, it'll be something interesting to do right uh, but the hope was that i could get land a job at a radio station and you being in a, you know the number one market in the united states that's not easy to do there yeah um so i go, so we go to we go to school or i go to school and uh strictly to learn the uh the production side of it but as we got into it now it was broadcasting uh so it's tv and and radio I sucked at the TV side tremendously. <laughs> um, I was awful, god awful at the TV side. 
but the radio side, I apparently had a knack for. Um, anytime I had to do voiceovers or stuff like that, the teachers always complimented me on how I sounded, um, how I produced everything. So I kind of had a, I guess I, I had a talent for it. I guess I had a hidden talent for, for radio. Um, but I had just had a, a son two years prior. So a lot of the assignment stuff, you know, you have to create these bumpers and commercials and whatnot, and usually have to go to school for that. You know, you have to do that in school, like outside of class time. But I couldn't because, you know, I had a new son, you know, I had family, I had a full-time job. So I started building, I knew enough of, you know, what home recording was about that I just started building a little tiny studio in my house uh, where I could just do my assignments for radio. Um, And then one day I remember sitting there, I had, I had, I had this, this actual mic stand, this boom stand I bought back in 2008. I I bought this, put, attached it to my desk and I'm sitting there looking at it. And I said, got my computer here. I had a little tiny little mixing board. And I said, I almost have like a, like a radio station in my house. I said, this is pretty, you know, I, I might be able to do something like this. So I let the, I let the idea go uh, until it came to graduation time where they started talking about professional development and stuff like that in school. And they're like, um, all right, you know, you want to get a job in the radio or television industry. You need to have an internship first. Now an internship is an unpaid position where you go and learn the ropes. Again, I have a two-year-old son. I have a full-time job. I can't take an internship. I don't have time for that. How do I then get into a radio station? Talk to one of the teachers. They're like, well, I mean, you know, you could do some stuff at home. Just make a just make a, a demo reel. You know, you, you introducing songs, coming out of songs, you know, going into break, um, do some of your production stuff. So I started doing that at home. And I realized if I could do this, I could just do a full radio show and I could put that out as a demo. So initially it just started off as just a need to... <clears throat> a need to create a demo to get into a radio station here in New York. And that was born uh, Metal Thunder Radio. I said, you know what, if I'm going to do a radio show, I'm, let me do something that I know a lot about, that I'm passionate about, and that would be metal music. I know it's not a huge market, but, you know, it's something that at least I'm comfortable with. So if I'm going to put it out to somebody, they can see that I'm comfortable with it. And I'm not sitting there trying to introduce country tunes that I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> No, but you you jumped into a very loyal niche market, though. You know, metal metal fans are probably some of the most loyal fans that a person can ever reach out to. And I mean, I was looking at some of the numbers of your followers and stuff, and I was impressed. I mean, I, literally, I was impressed. How did how did you go about building that kind of following? in such a short period of time. Cause we're, we're literally talking, you know, just a few years. It's not, it hasn't really been that long. Yeah. No, and, and when I started it, I, when I started the show, I had no idea how to do any of this at all. Right. Just what I learned in school. Um, so I had no idea where to start. So I started thinking to myself, all right, when I was in a band, it would, it would have been really cool. Or it was really cool when radio stations played us and we would tell our friends to tune in. Um, that was a real, you know, we got really jazzed up for it. We, you know, we would tune in and, you know, turn on 89.5. We're going to hear, we're going to hear our song. <clears throat> so the idea was, all right, I could do that for a whole bunch of other 
unsigned bands. I know of you know people here in New York, and if I start reaching out, you know, if I start just little by little just finding other bands, um, it'll start to grow, which it did. So that you know, you start off, you know, you start off with the bands you know, obviously, um, and the bands we know knew other bands, and it kind of you know, you know. The, the old Calgon commercial and she tell two friends and she tell two friends. So that's how it's, you know, it, it kind of expands out that way when, you know, you start off with one band, Oh, check out. And they, they tell their friends, yo, give this dude your demo. You know, he'll play you on his radio show. Okay, cool. That's what you, they don't ask how many followers you have or whatever. Right. Okay, cool. They just, you know, they'll be on the radio. Cool. <clears throat> and you tell them when it's going to be on the radio for them to tune in, for them to tell their friends to tune in. And, uh, you know, that's how it expands. The underground scene, um, things can happen very quickly in the underground, especially in the underground metal scene. Um, Back in the 80s, there was a lot of tape trading. That's how Metallica, you know, really got signed back then was through tape trading. They're now, you know, famous demo, No Life, No Leather. Um, Obviously, there's no more tapes anymore, but it's still by word of mouth. Um, You know, things can things can grow and you know if you're in a band and you get a loyal follow and you can make a name for yourself the same thing if you're a metal show you know, start making a name for yourself if you get a loyal following and you start reaching out to the bands and you tell them you're, you're gonna play and then, then then you say oh why don't you come on why don't you call in and it, it just expands out that way so you you took the the whole approach of stuckle and then let it spiral out from there what uh what would you say are some I, of the biggest uh, what would you say was one of the biggest accomplishments since you started Metal Thunder Radio? Talking to Paul Diano from Iron Maiden. Paul Diano. Now, you know, we, we, we had this conversation on Cave Crew Radio last Thursday night, how, yep. you know, Iron Maiden was like your number one band. Yep. How did, how did you, uh, how did you get that? How, how did you land that interview? Well, um, let me let me go back first to our first big name interview, um, which was Bobby Gustafson, the ex guitarist from Overkill. I became friends with Bobby on Facebook. I didn't know him personally. I just you know sent a friend request. He accepted. Cool. I'm friends with Bobby Gustafson. Check it out. <laughs> so then one day, um, you know, I'm on my way home from work and I'm thinking about the radio show, and I see a post from Bobby just posting something. But he seemed like an approachable guy. So I said, you know what? Why don't I send him a message, see if he'll be on the show? If he says no, he says no. Well, you know, what do I got to lose, right? Mm-hmm. Or if he never responds, whatever. I don't have anything to lose. So I sent him a message and I responded that day. And he said, cool, I'll be on your show. <laughs> like, oh, shit. I called up the other guys. I was like, uh, we're going to have Bobby Gustafson on the show. They're like, what? It's like, yeah. Then it's like the moment sinks in. Okay, I had posters of this dude on my wall when I was, <laughs> when I was a kid. I'm going to talk to him. Holy crap. Um, so that interview went well. I mean, Bobby was a great guy. Um, and ultimately, I'm playing on his coming album. We can get into that later. Um, but that interview, I, now I could use his name, right? I could use his name when I'm trying to get other people. Oh, I just interviewed Bobby Gustafson. Okay. Dave Lombardo from Slayer says yes. Cool. All right, now I've just interviewed Dave Lombardo and Bobby Gustafson. Jeff Mur- uh, 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 James Murphy from Death uh, says yes. Oh, great. Uh, Terry, Terry Butler from Obituary says yes. Wonderful. So now, I can, now I'm building up like all of these guys. So ultimately, uh, Paul Diano, 
I start, and now how I get these interviews is I just search them out. I'm either friends with them on Facebook or I just search out contact information and I'll just send out an email. If it, if I don't get responded to, I get responded to whatever. I don't care. You know, if I do better for me, Yeah. if I don't, I don't lose any sleep over it. So I was just searching out. I said, uh, we always joked because uh, me and Scott are, are huge Iron Maiden fans. We always joked. It'd be great to get Iron Maiden on the show one day. We're like, yeah, yeah, it'll never happen. I started thinking to myself, why can't it happen? Let me start looking around. So I came across, uh, I came across an email address for Paul Diano. Now, I know he's not the, the current singer of Iron Maiden, but he was the first two albums of Iron Maiden, which were hugely influential to millions of people. He's the singer on it. So, all right, I, I got it. <coughs> Found an email, sent out an email. It was apparently to his representative. I was like, okay, you know. Blah, blah, blah. We've interviewed Dave Lombardo, Bobby Gustafson, Terry Butler, so forth. Um, would Paul be interested in being on the show? He says, he came, he, he, a couple of weeks, I mean, this took weeks to come about, but a couple of weeks later, he, he emails me back and he says, uh, yeah, Paul, Paul, come on the show. Here's his information. Uh, here's his email address. You know, set it up with him. I was like, what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> So you I emailed went, Paul Diano personally. You just blew right past the gatekeeper. <laughs> Seriously. I said, uh, okay, this person, which is Paul Diano's representative, gave me your information. I want to make sure right up front that he knows that I was given his information by his rep. This person gave me your information. I have a small, I always tell, and I'm always honest with them. I always say I have a small radio show, internet radio show in New York City. I've interviewed these people. I would love to have you on just talk about blah, whatever, you know, thing it is at that time. But I never want to say like, oh, we have millions of listeners. Yeah. Blah, blah. I always I always want to be honest with them and say, look, it's a small radio show. I understand if you don't want to come on, but you know, it'd be really cool if you did. He emails me back. He's like, Yeah, let's 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 do this. It's like, holy shit. Now he's in the UK, so we can't go live. So we gotta like, you know, work it like I did on a Sunday morning. It's like a you know afternoon for him. So going into the interview, I'm watching YouTube clips. And he just seems like a mean SOB. <laughs> he seems like a drunken, mean SOB on his YouTube clips of like, you know, stuff that he's doing now. I'm like, oh, I'm just trying to look, you know, look for interviews and look for live clips, and, you know, just trying to jot some stuff down. <clears throat> the whole time, he, everything about him was like, this guy's going to be a real hard interview. It's going to be mean <laughs> and angry, and it, it's going to really kind of suck. So the day comes, I call, I have his personal home phone number. I call Paul Diano's house. He picks up the phone. And I, I, I don't know if it was a connection issue at first, but he doesn't hear me, right? I said, hi, this is Brian from Metal Thunder Radio. He's like, hello? I said, yes, hi. I'm, and I'm nervous as shit. I said, Paul, this is, this is Brian from Metal Thunder Radio. We, we were going to, you know, we were scheduled to talk. He's like, yeah, 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 I, I know, I know, I know. I was like, He's pissed already. <laughs> he says, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've been up all night. My wife, uh, my wife's in, in Massachusetts. She's not feeling well. I said, oh, do you want to, if you want to reschedule, you know, that's fine. He goes, no, 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 let's just get this over with. I said, oh, no. <laughs> Fuck. This is Paul Diano, Iron Maiden. I love Iron Maiden. He just wants to get this over with. Okay. <laughs> then we start getting into the interview, and I guess what it, However we do things, we make people very relaxed. It's it's not just a straight up, okay, your new album, and tell me about it, and go. We do a hangout thing, kind of. You know, it's like, you know, you coming over, we're hanging out, and we're going to bullshit. 
so he got very relaxed very quickly. And from there, it was 45 minutes of pure laughter. He told these stories. And my, one, of my, the, the best, one of the best things that came out of that interview is he called Ace Fraley a pussy. <laughs> it's the greatest thing ever. Because we, we asked him when Iron Maiden toured with Kiss back in 1980 or 81, whatever it was. Um, the story goes that Gene Simmons, who never wears other bands' T-shirts, wore, went and sought an Iron Maiden T-shirt and said uh, that uh, he'll only wear shirts of bands that he knows is going to go to the top, which is really cool for Iron Maiden. So we asked, we asked Paul about that, and he goes, yeah, yeah, that's true. But let me tell you, Ace Frehley's a pussy. <laughs> what? What happened? So he goes on to tell the story about how Ace like, would start a fight in a bar, but then go hide behind the security. Greatest story ever. <laughs> we le- and and it's funny. We got to the point where we talked very little about music and more about like life. It was weird talking about life with Paul Diano. We got on the we got on the subject. Now he's in the UK, so we got on the subject of soccer. And I said soccer. And he says, "Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait a minute. It's football, not like that little." shit that you have in your country <laughs> oh, i pissed paul off. he just offended him <laughs> but it, it was su- it was such a such a good interview such a great interview and that's that's probably the hi- the highlight so far for me was being able to interview paul Dan from iron maiden that was like the coolest thing ever you know that and funny thing is is while i was preparing for the show tonight that was the interview that i clicked on and i don't know how i found it or where it was at but that was the only one that it was right at the top. So I click on it and it, you, you get the feeling just listening to it. And when you say that you, when people come on the show, they, you, people relax quickly. It's true. And it's not just with metal thunder radio. It's with cave crew radio as well. Cause I've been on that show now three times and it's probably been one of the most uh, enjoyable experiences that I've had since I started podcasting or or live streaming or anything broadcast related and when you're listening to that episode you really get the sense you feel like he's just kicked back in his lounge chair just hanging out chatting with you guys i mean that's yeah, that, i mean that's I, that, what i was picturing yeah that's that's what it felt like you know really soon after all the initial awkwardness and he's gonna hate us and want to kill us really soon after that that's what i pictured too i pictured him sitting back in his UK flat or whatever, just kicking back with a drink and just, you know, on the phone and just reminiscing about old times and whatnot, you know, just like, almost like, you know, if he was in here in, in, in my place, just hanging out bullshitting, you know, and that's, that's the, the, the kind the, the way I describe uh, uh, metal thunder radio to, to anybody that asks is I always say, um, you know, when you go over your buddy's house or your buddy comes over your house and you want to, you know, you're just out, you're just listening to tunes and you're just bullshitting while you got your tunes on in the background. You're hanging out, talking and whatever. That's kind of what we are. You're all coming over to my house. We're going to listen to some tunes and we're going to hang out and bullshit for two hours. It'll be fun. We'll have some drinks. We'll have some laughs and we'll listen to some cool tunes. And I think that's the, that's kind of the feel that we have on Cave Crew Radio as well. We just want to have fun and hang out. It's not like this super serious. It's got to be robotic. Yeah. Just come and hang out and have some fun. Tell some funny stories. So where did that where did that show how was that show born because I I've heard stories about it supposed supposedly being a sports show and then it turns into this absolute 
train wreck of a genius show. <laughs> How did Cave Crew come about, man? Um, so we were on All Radio X. <clears throat> uh, when we first started uh, Metal Thunder Radio, uh, we were doing it on our own. We were broadcasting through this app called Mixler, which is out of the UK, and it costs like four bucks a month. So I was trying. To, I was trying anything I could do to do stuff for free or on the cheap. I had no money and I didn't still didn't know what I was doing. Um, uh, a friend of ours had a had a, a friend of ours had a friend. Now, follow me here. A friend of ours had a friend who was on all radio X. He asked our friend if he wanted to do a, a radio show because they were looking for DJs. He said no, because he didn't do anything, but told him about us on Metal Thunder Radio. Uh, so we got in touch and we like hooked up like, yeah, cool. We'll go to all radio X better than us doing it on ourselves on our own. So we went to all radio X and uh, before we went live, as you know, you get set up by the station. Uh, DK was the one that set us up. And from the moment we got online with him to get set up, we were friends. It was like, you know, we just, we just hit it off immediately. Um, so I was interested when I, when we when we joined all radio x i was interested in checking out the other shows well who was else was on the on the platform and i came across you know his show double talk radio very funny show really really funny you know off the wall kind of wacky show <clears throat> that i listened to every wednesday night i would go into the chat room i'd be in the chat um and then eventually like you know sometimes he'd ask me to come on the show like if he had a slow night or somebody dropped off you know i'd kind of you know fill in or you know do a little segment or whatever um so we, you know, we started building up a rapport, um, and then Double Talk Radio uh, ended. Whatever happened on his end uh, with the other co-hosts and whatever that show ended. Um, actually, I was told by uh, the the dude that ran All Radio X that Double Talk Radio was ending, and that DK wasn't going to do anything, you know, anything further. I said, "Yo, we can't have that." I said, "I'll do a show with him. You know, we get along great. We can do something. I don't know what, but we'll do something." So I I sent the DK a message. I said, you know, let's do, let's do a show. Let's do like some, I don't know, something like a guys type show, whatever. We could talk about sports and, you know, I know sports. I like sports. We could talk about sports and, you know, some current news and stuff. We're like, okay, yeah, let's do that. This when we started coming out with the ideas. Uh, we had to come up with a name. Uh, we were throwing about a whole bunch of names and I was thinking uh, uh, something came about where, you know, men live in caves or whatever. So I said, oh, about the cave crew. Like the man cave, we're with with the crew of the cave, cave crew radio. Okay, that's great. What are we going to talk about? I don't know, sports and whatever. Great. So that's why I came up with you, what you say is my my sixteen hour long intro. <laughs> and what leads into it is you know there's 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 beer, uh, sports, and girls. The whole premise was going to be mo- mainly a sports show, a, a guy sports show with some news on the on the back end. I guess we started off talking about that, but we would just, we kind of do ADD radio where we just kind of grandpa Simpson off into some <laughs> odd on traffic. And eventually that's how we would just start the show. We would just start talking into some odd, talk. like we'd come in and do the intro and we'd you know, just start, you know, talking for the first 10 minutes and a topic would come up and we would just run with it. So that's eventually how it all, it wasn't a conscious decision to come to where we are now. It was just flowed that way because, you know, neither one of us are particularly good at focusing on one specific thing for a long time. And that's the feel of it now, even it's, it seems like an ever evolving show. 
there ain't no single format because every time that I've I've been on the show, even it's been a new format. And, and you know, it's funny. I told DK this the other day. He said, "I said, you know, I was so amped and prepped to do the show with you guys Thursday night. However, you need to give a guy a heads up because my <laughs> mindset is going one direction, and then you freaking flip the switch on it, and now I had to reset." The, my mindset, because all of a sudden we've got Mini B on the air with us, and when I'm around children that are not my own, and I know we all do this, we all cuss worse in front of our own children than we ever would in front of somebody else's. Right. So right. I'm getting ready for the show. I'm pumped. I'm amped, and all of a sudden there's Mini B, and I'm like, oh <laughs> <laughs> shit, where do I go now? <laughs> yeah, we we never. And the same thing with the with the metal show. Aside from the the music, like I have a playlist, but we never prepare anything that we're going to talk about. The 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 the, the with my son uh, Mini B, the night before he comes to me with an idea. He says, "I have an idea for for tomorrow's show, me and the Cave Crew show." He wants to do, who's a better band? Now keep in mind he's ten years old. Who's a better band, Iron Maiden or Judas Priest? I said, "Well, that's not really going to work for the Cave Crew show. That's more for the metal show." I said, but if you want to come on the Cave Crew show, I'll talk to DK. You know, so, you know, maybe you can come in and say hi. So that that day of the show, that Thursday, I talked. I, I sent DK a message. I was like, yeah, my son's really interested in doing this now. He's you know he's showing an interest in the radio aspect of things. Can he come on just for a couple of minutes, say his piece and whatever? And that's what led to the beginning segment. <laughs> it was a good segment though. I loved it. I absolutely loved the segment. Once once I kind of you know got over that initial trip up. It yeah. was it was absolutely awesome, and the way he, he the way he ambushed you, where you oh, yeah. when when you're telling him, yeah, that's a metal show, that's for the metal show. Don't you know we won't do that here. And then he does it anyways. It was oh, like of he's like, yeah, slapped you up, and then he retired you, and all that kind of good stuff. Oh, that, yeah. I had oh, such I a great time with that. Uh, for those that didn't hear the show, uh, he he said on air that uh, he was going to replace me in five years. Uh, uh, so then uh, uh, you didn't hear, but when we went into break and he was leaving, as he's leaving the room, he turns to me, he says, remember, I'm the future. And then he left the room. <laughs> like, he, like he did the mic drop. So yeah. remember, I'm the future. And he's gone. That's awesome. That is absolutely. So in five years, I'm going to have to have him on the show. Apparently. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But anyways, we are coming up right at the end of the show. Actually, we've gone twice the amount of time that I normally go. I couldn't get out of I couldn't get out of the show if I wanted to. There was just so much coming and I just wanted to keep going further. But before we go, I want to find out what's the next chapter. Where do we go from here? <laughs> That's a good question. I have no idea. I, I honestly I have no idea. I, I know I know one thing's for sure, this room that I'm in, I'm expanding. I'm expanding the studio in two weeks, so it's going to be like triple the size. So I'm going to have uh, at least for the for the metal show, I'll be able to have uh, more guests come in, you know, full bands or whatever come in, not play, but you know, just come in and talk. Um, but as far as what we're going to do, I have no idea. Like I said, we don't plan anything. We don't plan anything on Cave Crew either. So <clears throat> I couldn't. Everything that we've talked about, and from where I started to where we are now, I couldn't have planned. <laughs> no way anybody could have planned that. No one could have wrote this story at all. No. Period. It's so just... I have no idea what's next. Whatever's next, I'll deal with. So now, if everybody wants to f come find you and listen to Metal Thunder Radio, where do they go? 
Well, you can uh, you can go to metalthunderradio.com and you can uh, you can look at shirts that you can buy but never do. They have <laughs> shirts for sale. Nobody ever buys them. Um, but listen, we are live every Tuesday night, uh, live from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. on uh, the Metal World Radio uh, station. Go to metalworldradio.com and uh, you're automatically in chat. Uh, as soon as you get there and you can listen to the show every live every Tuesday night from 9 to 11. We're also uh, uh, rebroadcast on uh, 1027 WSNR uh, on Thursday nights at 10 p.m. Uh, and as of last month, we are the number one music show on that station, <clears throat> which is pretty cool. Um, and then obviously Cave Crew Radio on every Thursday nights from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Or 9 p.m. to 10.30 p.m., sorry. Uh, go to cavecrewradio.com uh, to check that out. And you can find links to their show on ripkamedia.com. And check it out. And don't just don't just watch the current show. Go back and check out some of their past shows because you, you will be amazed. And it's, this, the show is never the same. It's always evolving. And these guys are two of, or well, I can't say two. The three of the funniest people that I've met probably in the last year. And I've had such a good time hanging out with each and every one of them. Every time I get a chance to hang out with them, I make sure that I drop everything and and go visit. But uh, yeah, I mean, thank you very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate having you here. I'm, I'm sorry it took so long. And if you ever have something you want to come and talk about, all you got to do is holler at me and I'd be more than happy to get you back on, man. I, I, I will say uh, two things really quickly. One, uh, for all your fans, uh, you described us on Cave Crew perfectly. And I told you this last week uh, when you said we could use the word fuck as a noun, a verb, an adjective or an adverb at any given point in time in any conversation. I take great pride in that. Uh, and now I forgot what I, what else I was going to say. Um, well, it's absolutely true. The fact that you guys can use that word, it, it's it's like an art form, the way it just flows out of your mouth. Yes. Uh, uh, thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, no. Uh, I, oh, the other thing I was going to say is I, I, I guess I have a knack of making you feel uncomfortable, whether it be your eight minute long. Uh, uh, I don't know. Is he coming on? I don't know. Is he? <laughs> That, that show that I ranted about or, or forcing me on this show. I have a knack for making you feel uncomfortable and I take great pride in that as well. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> Hopefully uh, next time I'm on uh, cave crew radio, I'll never be able to return that favor, but at least I can give her a hell of a go. <laughs> thank you, sir. This has been a lot of fun. All right. Well, thank you everybody for checking out this episode. You can find the download for the audio version over on iTunes, Stitcher, um, Blueberry, um, any podcatcher that you can imagine, it's probably stolen my show and put it up on there with their advertisements all over it. That's all right. It's how everybody gets the gets the raw and real truth. So until next time, everybody, you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect solution. This episode of Raw and Real is produced by the Saloon 7 Studios and is a member of the SDWV Podcast Network. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>